Welcome to another message from Citizen Heights. We are located in the nation's capital, where our heart is to inspire hope, remove limitations, and help you experience God's possible for your life. Join Pastors Michael and Heather Giroux in their passion to help you live your best life. We hope you enjoy today's encouraging and uplifting message. Here we go, church. How good is it to be together on a Sunday? Oh, well, some of you are still figuring it out. Well, I want to welcome uh, our Dulles campus uh, right now joining up, and it's great to be together on a Sunday morning. It's great to be a part of what God is doing, and uh, I'm so excited for the fall, and uh, you just saw just a few highlights of things that are coming up this fall, so put them on your calendar. We'll hit a few again um, at the end, just to remind you. But if you miss any of them, you can go to uh, citizenheights.com. You can check our events page, or you can download the Citizen Heights app that has all that as well. And I would highly recommend you download the app because on Sundays, what you get to do is click in the upper left-hand corner for discussion notes for our service. So uh, when I'm preaching, you can kind of get ahead, and you can correct me if I uh, step out and, and get words wrong, which I often do. And uh, be part of that discussion. Of course, our online campus, we love that you're with us. Wherever you're traveling, wherever you are in the world, you can be part of the family and uh, don't have to miss a Sunday. So with that being said, uh, next Saturday, a week from yesterday, the Walk for Freedom, that is a big deal. We would really uh, recommend and encourage that you check that out, sign up, be part of that. Um, And then uh, on The other thing I want to recommend that you put on your calendar right now is October 29th is uh, our Fall Fun Fest, and that is at our Dulles campus. So it gives you an opportunity, if you haven't already, to go see the Dulles campus, to meet some of the families out there, and to be part of uh, that. We, We go big. So we hope that you can come and enjoy it with us. Let's go ahead, take our Bibles. Anybody here got a Bible today? Yeah, you've got your phone, you've got your app, you've got your Bible with pages. I have my Bible with pages, and we're going to go to uh, turn together to Romans 12, verse 2. And uh, what we're doing today is we're going to continue a series I began about seven or eight years ago. (laughs) So it's been a long intermission, uh, and I wanted to return to this subject um, many, many times, but now is the time. So we're going to go ahead, Romans 12, uh, verse 2. And the name of the series, as you can see, is, is Life Traps, Escaping the Past and Patterns That Hold Us Back. And uh, this, this discussion, this series, uh, examines how our history can result in a pattern of belief that leads us to unintended cycles of living in the trap of the enemy. Have you ever felt like you're just kind of caught in a cycle, you're just kind of caught in this rotation, it's like, I can't get out of this thing, you know, maybe it's a, if you're um, married, you notice that you, you have, like, a great marriage, but there's certain topics and certain cycles and certain patterns that you keep falling into, and maybe you're an individual, and you notice, man, this one area, and maybe you're not you know, some people are very self-aware and they can give, you know, words and handles to the things they're experiencing. And other people are not as self-aware and they have a hard time just grasping, like, I know I'm having a hard time. I'm not sure why I'm having a hard time. Well, 
there are cycles and there are patterns. Everybody say patterns. There are patterns of belief, and if they're based upon lies that result from our, an encounter, an experience, your, your history, something that happened to you, that causes you to, to believe a lie and, and suck you into a pattern of, of belief, uh, there's, there's a sense of hopelessness because how do, you, how do you get out of that eddy? Have you ever went whitewater rafting? And, and you're whitewater rafting and you notice there are these little circles that are just going and the raft guide will always say, well, we don't want to get over there. There's an eddy over there. And I said, an eddy? Who is eddy? And it's no, no, it's not a who, it's a what. It's just this pattern of water that circles that once you get into it, the, the centrifugal force makes it difficult for you to get out of it. And there are things that you and I encounter that just kind of suck us in. And if we can't find our way out of that, it, it can become a cycle that doesn't just become a season. It can be, really become uh, uh, what you, you come to believe is part of who you are. So I want to talk about that, and hopefully I gave you a moment to get to Romans 12 too. Let's establish uh, a biblical framework here. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everybody say, my patterns, my mind. There is a connection between even the spiritual patterns we live in and the thoughts that we think in our mind. And it, and it juxtaposes these two ideas. You can either be conformed to the pattern or you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then it says, this will be the result. Then you will be able. Come on, some of us have been, how come I can't get this? How come I can't get beyond that? How come I can't? It says, then you will have the ability to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. Amen? This is going to be good today. I can tell. Tenley Town, you are ready to go. I love it. And uh, Dulles Campus, Online Campus, I hope, hopefully you're ready as well. Uh, but but what, th- this idea of patterns and, and the idea of a life trap, and this idea of a life trap, it really came for me uh, from a board game. Did you play a lot of board games growing up? Anybody play a lot of board games growing up? I see a trend. It's mostly advanced in age people raising their hand, right? We, uh, we played a lot of board games because we didn't have things like Call of Duty or, or Fortnite or gaming consoles. We didn't have little things like the internet. <laughs> we didn't have things like cable TV, <laughs> literally. Uh, you know, you take all that off the table and shoots and ladders is looking pretty good, you know? You take all that other stuff off the table and it's desperate times, and so, yeah, we played board games, uh, Candyland, uh, Risk, um, Monopoly, of course. We started games of Monopoly. We didn't finish many. Um, played Clue. Anybody play Clue? Uh, one, one game that we played, I don't remember, I don't know if this was mainstream, it was called Parcheesi. Anybody remember? Yeah, so we played all these board games, and you know what? We talked as a family. It was amazing. Uh, but there was one game on my list that I wanted, only wealthy families that had the wherewithal 
uh, had this board game. It was a game called Mousetrap. <laughs> Mousetrap was like, I saw that commercial. It just about blew my, my little mind. I was like, what? Uh, it's not just dice and cards that you have to read. Um, because Mousetrap, I'll explain. So I can hear some people explaining now. Uh, Mousetrap, you and your competitors were mice making your way around the board uh, to get pieces of cheese. I think you had to get six pieces to win. And uh, meanwhile, while you're going around the board, a device is being built above the board. Um, and it's a mousetrap to, to trap your opponents and possibly even to trap you, which this mousetrap was essentially a Rube Goldberg device. You know what a Rube Goldberg device is? Man, we're getting into some weird pop culture now. Uh, a Rube Goldberg device is like a chain reaction mechanism designed to perform a simple task in many, many complicated ways, like in a complicated way. Um, and so I saw this, this commercial of all these moving pieces and the, the trap falling down on the mouse. And uh, it, this, this game had about 30, 35 pieces. So you know how hard it is to keep a game that's got like five or six players. Uh, this had over 30 pieces, and the marble would come out uh, of the bucket. It would go down the stairs. If you remember Mousetrap, and there was, there was a boot. There was a red tub. There was a, a yellow tub that the army guy would be flung into, and then the cage would drop down. Some of you are like, this is medicine, like nostalgia, walking this back. Um, so it was very it was all these complicated moving parts but really all that wanted all that needed to happen was the trap had to drop on the mouse this red cage much like the slide behind me uh so when i think about traps i think about mouse trap the game all these moving parts all these complicated little scenarios but really there's one simple task and one simple goal and talking about life traps, uh, it, it might have a lot of your life, my life, all of our lives might have a lot of complicated pieces, moving parts, backstory, history. But there's, when it comes to the enemy, there's only one simple task, and that is to drop that cage. There's only one task that he has in mind. There's one thing the en enemy is, is doing and attempting, and that's to get us to believe a lie. Okay, you get trapped when you believe lies about who God is and what God wants for you. And probably more directly, you get trapped when you believe lies about who you are and who you think the world sees you as. And that might be the more connective part. Because when we take the bait, we end up living life confined by the lies we believe like confined by the lies that we've been led to believe so i want to talk about escaping the past escaping those patterns that hold us back so we just read romans 12 2 everybody on board the scripture tells us in romans 12 2 that there are patterns of this world and that the enemy will attempt to conform us to those patterns and so where do these patterns originate? So the Greek word for this phrase, uh, conform to the patterns, the, the Greek word used here is where we get our English word schematic from. So it's just like this little drawing, 
like this sketch, like this design, it's a plan to form or, or to conform to a certain mold or pattern. So the, what that tells us is the devil has a plan and an agenda. You know, the Bible tells us, you know, by the way, be, beware if you go to a church that never tells you there's a devil. <laughs> we have a, a God who loves us, but we have an enemy. And there are many names for him. I think over 50 in the Bible. Uh, some of them would be tempter, liar, father of lies, deceiver, accuser, right? So he has a plan, and his plan is to deceive, accuse, and lie to conform us to a mold and a pattern. It's, it's his, his, he envisions trapping you, and we know the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so if he can just confine you, and according to the text that we just read, the lies that we believe and the patterns that we conform to impact four things. I'm not gonna make these main points that we developed today, but I do want you to see. It says that, remember, we just, we, we just read, uh, then you will be able, remember? Well, what? what can we do? These four things. Then you will be able to, number one, know God's will. That means God has a plan for me. The enemy has a plan for me, but God's plan for me. Number two, you get to know that God is good. God's plan for me is good. Reject anything that tells you otherwise. Number three, we get to know God's motivation. God's plan for me is fulfilling. His will is pleasing. Okay, I like that. Number four, I get to know that God can be trusted. God's plan for me will complete me. So, so when, you, when you get to the other side of this mousetrap in all these areas, this life trap, uh, you're able to see you know, God's will, that God's good, God's motivation, God's, uh, God can be trusted, inherent, like the nature of God. But it also, these traps also uh, distort our vision of ourselves, who we are and who the world sees us as. And that's when you get trapped. You get trapped when you believe lies about who God is and what he wants for you. You get trapped when you believe lies about who you are as God sees you and how the world sees you. So I wanna be reasonable because this takes a a bit to develop. So today is an introduction. I wanna just shine a light on some of the most common patterns and lies. I wanna... I want to talk about the basic ideas behind this so that we have framework for the rest of, of the series. Is that okay? So when you get trapped, when you, you, when you believe these lies, so, so let's shine a light. How does it happen? Uh, and I wish I could give just a one-line definition of life trap, but I'm going to give you several kind of ideas. Um, a life trap is a result. If you're wondering, what is this life trap? Because we're going to use this word a lot. A life trap is the result of a pattern or an experience, usually an experience that's, that happens in childhood, but it can happen later in life. Matter of fact, I think the last three years, there's been a lot of open doors for life traps, to be honest with you. So maybe later in life, but it's a, an experience that reverberates throughout your life. It begins with something that was done to you, something was done around you, something that was allowed, an atmosphere, an ecosystem that you lived within where certain, certain things were, were pervasive, where in the moment you felt abandoned or you felt criticized 
or you felt overprotected, or you felt exposed and vulnerable, or you felt abused, or you felt excluded, or you felt deprived. All these things can be a a one-off experience that we deal with and move on, but they can also be things that we respond to and grab hold of and say, you know what, that wasn't just an experience, that's reality and the way it is forever. Do you hear me? Let me give you an example. Uh, in the DMV here, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, uh, there's, there's a, an ongoing debate about who, uh, whose citizens are the worst drivers. And uh, this is hotly contested. Uh, Virginia says D.C., D.C. says Maryland, Maryland says Virginia. Um, just a few months ago, and I, I, I was driving down the road in Virginia. I have an opinion as well, by the way. And uh, un- unfairly, perhaps... Uh, but it's, it's been Maryland for me. And, and understand, when we talk about life traps, we're not talking about confirmation bias. We're talking about something more. So, but understand, if you, if you think, if you happen to be like, like I was, was, and think Maryland, every time somebody cuts you off, if it's Virginia or D.C., it's just kind of like, just kind of, you don't remember it much. But if, it confer- if it's Maryland, it's confirming my bias. And so it just goes to the, to the total, the sum total that Maryland, oh my goodness, the worst drivers. But I was driving through Virginia. <laughs> and a Maryland driver cut me out. No, just kidding. I was, <laughs> I was driving through Virginia and all the traffic came to uh, like uh, slow, 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 stop. So we all contract. We're all stopped. We can see up ahead there's a work truck slowly getting out of the road. And so we've all compressed. We're not adhering to three car lengths. And then the truck turns, completes its turn, and we all start to decompress, accelerating at roughly the same exact speed as one another trying to allow that gap in front of you to grow. And without warning, the person in front of me, who I hadn't noticed up until that time, slammed on their brakes to a complete stop. Now, I have a big truck that I drive, and maybe he saw how big the grill was, and maybe objects appear closer in the mirror than they are, and I have a big truck, and it's already big. But he, for whatever reason, slammed on his brakes, and I had had time to stop, but I had to come to a complete stop. And I thought, what is going on with this guy? And then we took off again. Now people are compressed behind me. And we all start to accelerate again, roughly the same speed. I'm, I'm gauging everybody. Everybody's happy. He does it a second time. And I think, well, I've had enough of this. <laughs> so we start to decompress and accelerate and I put on my signal it's legal to pass I get out into the passing lane and my 6.7 liter diesel engine just takes over and I am about even with his bumper when he swings full speed into the passing lane and jams on his brakes to a complete stop that was a challenge to avoid at this point he's shown his willingness to wreck me twice. And at that point, I was thinking, this is, uh, 
I'm not taking this bait. This, is, this would be a wonderful time to escalate, but I'm not going to escalate. But he is throwing some signs from his car. And I don't know what kind of day this guy had, but he's upset until I see a handgun that he starts waving around in his car and waving back at me. And I think to myself, I better call somebody. As a former prosecutor, anybody who's willing to pull a firearm out in the, these days and brandish it, you're, you're no longer going to just get like, that will interrupt my day. No, it's going to have to interrupt my day because this guy, it won't be me, but he'll find somebody to take the bait today and it's not going to end well. So I call the sheriff. The sheriff finds him and, and re- confiscates the gun and all that stuff. And at that point, I said, you know what? Virginia might be the worst drivers <laughs> because they're armed. <laughs> they are. And then I went to court and the judge pretty much dismissed it. And I was shocked as a former prosecutor that that happened. But I could just go look at that one experience and say, wow, that was a traumatic experience. And my response will now be, that was not just an experience in time and space dealing with a fallen individual. That is representative of the way life is, the way the world is, and the way Virginians drive. Right? That is the progression of belief that leads us to a pattern. And of course, it's not something like road rage or, or, you know, driving and traffic. We're talking about matters of the heart, deep personal things. If the experience is traumatic enough and if the experience in your, in your life is recurrent enough, our response to that moment and the resulting ideas and the resulting thoughts from the experience, they become part of us, a part that was never meant to be in your mold, a part that was never meant to be part of the pattern of belief that God had for you. And that's where the pattern of belief becomes a life trap. Long after we leave the home that we grow up in, we continue to live in the pattern. We literally look, listen to me, we literally look to recreate the situations in which we can feel those same feelings because we accepted the lie that that's who I am and that's who the world sees me as and that's what I deserve and if the world isn't giving you what you expect you will create the dysfunctional life patterns around you to give you that same feeling whether it's feeling mistreated or ignored or put down or controlled if you grow up emotionally deprived uh, you'll continue to recreate a state of detachment as adult so as an adult you'll you'll find some reason to avoid intimacy why because you were emotionally deprived and you just kind of accept it and you and it becomes you i guess that's me and so you go to recreate it and if you grow up in abuse you find someone who'll create the same unstable environment so we're we're so understand we, are, we can become drawn to dysfunctional environments that recreate the familiarity of childhood. And you think, well, that's impossible. That's, that, why would we do that? It, even if my childhood was unhealthy, I'm going to recreate that? Listen, if it was home for you, it, it, I'll say it this way. It was home for you even if it wasn't homey. That was normal to you. So in a way, it's shaped your sense of normalcy. It's shaped your sense of expectation. This is 
the world and this is where I fit in it. So I have to accept it. And, and, if, and if my suspicions and expectations are not being fulfilled, I will create scenarios for that same dysfunction to, to give me that same life. So we, what happens is we end up maintaining our imprisonment, right? You know, whether it's a pattern of abuse or rejection, a pattern of overperformance. Well, I've got to, I perform for, uh, for acceptance. I perform for appreciation. I, I perform so that I will be loved. And so all of a sudden you, you're recreating an atmosphere as an adult that will produce the same resulting emotions. Now, this isn't a mystery. It's called uh, the repetition compulsion. It, it's, it's part of, you know, uh, humanity and something we gravitate, gravitate towards. But what it is, it's an unconscious tendency to repeat a pattern that induces familiar traumatic results. And if you doubt that, then I'd ask, well, why is it that the child of an alcoholic grows up to marry an alcoholic? Many of us know people who've done that. Or the abused child who grows up to marry an abuser or becomes an abuser. Or the controlled child who allows others to control them. The child who experiences a violation of innocence or intimacy struggles to find a healthy expression of adult intimacy. If we don't find our way out of these lies, we get trapped. And, and, it, and, we get, and we're kept from peace, freedom, and fulfillment. We're kept from knowing God's will, that God's will is good for me, that God's will for me is gonna fulfill me, and that God's will for me can be trusted. And even when we appear to have everything figured out, you know, maybe you've got great social status, you've got the ideal marriage, uh, respect of people that are close to you, uh, you know, career success, however we measure success, even in the midst of success, we're often unable to find our way out of those traps because they become part of who you think you are. So I want to show you a list of some of the common life traps we're going to hit over the next few weeks. As I read them, uh, I wonder if many of us are going to have a few that just jump off the screen and, and identify, identify with. <clears throat> some life traps uh, identified that we'll, we'll go over. Number one, emotional deprivation. Number two, vulnerability. Number three, subjugation. Number four, mistrust and or abuse. Number five, abandonment. Number six, defectiveness. I've known people just like, there's something missing. There's something wrong with me. There's something defective about who I am. It's a, it's a lie they bought into, accepted, and they're living their entire adult life in that, pris in that prison of defective, this belief that they are defective. Number seven, entitlement. Number eight, dependence. Number nine, failure. Number 10, unrelenting standards. I'll tell you the first time I did, I was like, ooh, that's me. That's me. Come on, we all, you, you can look through the list and go, yep, that's me, that's me. Please don't go, that's you, that's you, that's you. That is bad, that's bad marriage advice and that's bad, uh, I don't know, roommate etiquette. Shouldn't do it. Here for yourself, failure, unrelenting standards. And number 11, social exclusion. 
And uh, maybe as you can, you, you scan that list, maybe there's some that jump off the screen and there's an immediate realization. What you thought was normal life, what you thought was a normal outlook is perhaps a distortion of reality from past encounters that caught you in a life trap. Boy, it's really quiet in here. I hope you're absorbing this quiet and not like disconnecting quiet. What you might have suspected, uh, maybe you wrote some of these things off as your own neurodiversity. Like, this is unique me. This is my temperament. I'm, I'm quirky like this. Maybe what you wrote off is that is actually a mold that the enemy crammed you into. Not God's plan for your life. These patterns of belief become, what, what's, what's difficult is these patterns of belief become central to our sense of self. You, you start really thinking it's, it's who you are. And to give up our belief would be to surrender the, the security of knowing who we are. You know, it'd be like surrendering the security of knowing this is how the world works. So we cling to it even when it hurts and hurts us and hurts others around us. So these distorted beliefs, they provide us, in a sense, we get, a, we get like this predictability and certainty about the world because we're hanging on to this. You know, they're comfortable, they're familiar. In an odd sense, they make us feel, again, they make us feel at home. But what I've found is the mind replays what the heart cannot delete. And so we replay it, we ruminate on it, we accept it, we believe it, we pattern, and we live in the pattern. So what are we going to do about it the next few weeks? 1 Corinthians 13, 11, we'll, we'll, we'll conclude with this. I told you this was an introduction. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, When I was a child... I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. See, when I was a child, things happened to me. When I was a child, stuff I had no control of. Or maybe as an adult, trauma, I experienced trauma. Trauma I didn't invite. Or, or maybe I did invite, which almost makes you feel like you deserve the shame, the guilt, and the pattern that comes with it. But there's hope. When I was a child, I was the recipient of these things. But as an adult, I now respond to God's grace. As an adult, I now respond to God's forgiveness. As an adult, I now open my heart to receive the truth of God, not the lies of the enemy, the deceiver, the tormentor, the accuser, the father of lies. Much of this is about what you believe and how you think. Romans 12. But, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It can be new again. Like, you can have a different operating system that no longer forces you to load up this virus, to load up this malware, to load up this thing. Life traps are the byproduct of embracing a thought that is not true. And so transformed by the renewing of the mind, how are we going to navigate our way out of this stuff? A lot of this stuff is 
very well rooted in psychology and, and we understand these things. But the problem with psychology is a lot of times it can name it and point its fi- and put its finger on it. But until you have, and, I, and believe me, I believe if there's chemical imbalance, there is a place for medication even in the mental health industry. So believe me, I am not the person who says, hey, just love Jesus and everything. No, no. If you broke your leg and it's a complex fracture or com- whatever, whatever the fractures where the bone sticks out. Like if you broke your leg and it's sticking out, don't please don't come to church and be like, well, I'm just leaning on Jesus. He's all I need. No, what you need is a cast. You need medical help. And, and you're making us all very uncomfortable. <laughs> please go deal with it. Listen, mental health issues are no joke. Jesus is all you need for forgiveness for your soul. But he made you a being that has chemical and physical realities that when are out of bounds or disjointed should be addressed. But beyond that, when we come to church and we come to the cross and we say, Jesus, how are we going to deal with this? 2 Corinthians 10.5. That's what I'm going to camp in. It says we demolish arguments because we need a renewed mind. So we're going to demolish arguments. And every pretend, how pretentious of the enemy to, to, to try to make me believe that I'm something I'm not. Every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Remember, I told you, the big lie that he wants is, this is who God is, and this is what God wants for you. Lie. And then it goes into, this is who you are, and this is how the world sees. It sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and read the rest. It says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The renewing of the mind starts with going on a raid and finding those thoughts that have held you captive. And instead, it says that we take those thoughts captive. They're not going to hold us anymore. Some of my beliefs are, are locking me up. Come on. Some of my beliefs are ensnaring me. Some of my beliefs are confining me. And it's time to take those thoughts captive. So one instruction I give today, and I hope uh, two, two things you can write down if you're a note taker. That'll help kind of guide as as the Holy Spirit helps kind of navigate you through this out of the enemy's pattern and plan and schemes into God's heart for you. The first thing is this. My personal experience will not displace God's eternal truth. Do you hear me? My personal experience will not displace God's eternal truth. God's word is a lamp to my feet. God's word is a light to my path. I'm walking out of this thing. I can see clearly for the first time the snares that were set along my path. And it was part of my history. It was part of my background. It was part of the things that I thought I was. And now to come find out God's word is showing me that that's not who I have to be. I can be free of that thing. And that's the second thing I want you to write down today. God's truth is my truth and the key that unlocks the door. God's truth is my truth and it's my key. It unlocks the door. John 8 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. No wonder he's the liar. No wonder he's the father of lies. Because the truth is your freedom. So if he can disguise it, if he can manipulate it, if he can distort it,
we got to wrap up. I, I'll wrap up with this thought. I remember being, uh, I'm wearing glasses today. Did Some of you probably didn't know I wore glasses. I wear contacts most of the time, and I didn't wear glasses intentionally for this today, but uh, the thought now comes to mind. I was in probably fourth grade. I, I played basketball. I played Pop Warner football. I played hockey, ice hockey where I grew up, played all these sports. And uh, I'd go to hockey games and, and watch the hockey games. We had a, a team in our town that was semi-pro, and some of the some of my high school friends would go right into the NHL. They called it Hockey Town USA. So it was big time hockey town and sports. And So I'd go to these games. I would play. I loved it. And I remember, it, I think it was fourth grade, fifth grade, I had my first eye appointment. I had never been to an optician before, and they brought me to an optician. And uh, they're checking my eyes. They're like, hey, you, you, need, uh, you need glasses. I said, oh, okay. So they fit me. They give me the glasses. That night, there was a hockey game. I went to the hockey game. I sat in the stands in absolute disbelief. You know, if you... If you've lived without your glasses, and, and if you've never put glasses on, you don't know what you're missing. I looked at my friends. I said, you mean to tell me all of you could see the puck? I was skating to the crowd because I figured the puck was over there somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, I walked outside. I was like, the leaves are this green? Everything's not fuzzy? I didn't know what I was not seeing because I had never had the clarity of vision before. Can I tell you, the truth of God's word will clear up your vision in a way you never, there's things you don't even know you're missing. We don't blame you for skating to the crowd. Uh, we, would, we were doing the same thing. We don't blame you for valuing that or, or resisting this. And we go, come to citizen group. And you're like, no way, <laughs> not getting close to anybody. And we go, oh, okay. There's a lie the enemy told you. But the truth of God's word, those thoughts, those patterns, you don't need to conform to that anymore. You can be something totally new. Can I pray with you right now? Father, we pray that over the course of these next few weeks, our hearts will be fertile soil to, to say yes to you, to allow you to do the deep work that only you can do. And God, will We'll get our professional counselors because we know you use counselors in the word of wisdom. We'll get our medical professionals because, God, we know that you use medicine. But, Lord, we're going to come to the altar. And we're going to allow you to help us to spot the lies and then to take every thought captive and place it to, into the obedience of Christ that your word would be true, our only truth, that your word would set us free, free indeed. With every eye closed, I want to pray for one last group of people that the lie of the enemy is this is who God is and this is what he wants for you. But the truth of God's word reveals that God is loving, compassionate, slow to anger, forgiving, a good father who patiently urges us forward. And if you're here today, before you start working on any life traps, there's one trap you need to get out of 
that you can get out of today in an instant. And I'm going to pray a prayer over us in a moment. And it's a prayer of forgiveness because the reality of who God is is the two things God wants to do for you is forgive you and free you. He wants to forgive you and free you, but it starts with forgiveness. The Bible says that God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And the reason he died for us is so he could take the place, because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, and the payment of sin is death. And so Jesus took upon himself sin, died the death that you don't have to die now. And in that moment, took upon himself the penalty of all the sins sins you've ever committed. And sin, you know, the word, it means missing the mark. God's mark is holiness. Be holy even as God is holy. And no matter how bad we try to be holy, we just keep missing it. We just keep missing it. We just keep missing it. And what Jesus did is he took upon himself the penalty of sin, full satisfaction, so that we could know the forgiveness of God and we could walk in the freedom of God. So as we close today, with every eye closed, no moving about, if that's you and you say, man, I need the forgiveness of God and I need to walk in the freedom of God. It might be the first time you've ever acknowledged this. It might be a a recommitment moment because you realize you've just slid away and, and there's no confidence of who God is and who you can be any longer. This is a moment for you. I'm gonna count to three and as I hit three, I'm gonna invite you to lift your hand. And by lifting your hand, you're not joining a church and I'm certainly not gonna stand you up or call any attention to you. But by lifting your hand, you're saying, Pastor, include me in that prayer you're about to pray. I need Jesus in my life. Are you ready? One, don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. Two, he loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Hands already going up. One, two, three. Say, yeah, that's me. Include me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else say, include me in that prayer, Pastor? Got you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Up in the balcony, Dulles campus, online campus, wherever you are, thank you, got you. You say, well, what is it to raise your hand? The Bible says, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need the good news that God is for me, not against me. I need the good news that God forgives everything I've ever done and will do. I need the good news that God has a plan for me, got you, thank you. Praise God. You can put your hands down. Maybe you didn't feel comfortable lifting your hand. And that's okay, because you're going to pray this prayer with us nice and loud, just the same. Dear Jesus, I give you my life because you first gave me yours. I love you, Jesus, because you first loved me. So I surrender all I am, all I used to be, and all I hope to be. I put my life in your hands. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for setting me free. Now say this boldly, nice and loud. I am a Christian. By God's grace, I am saved. It's his free gift to me. I didn't earn it. I was given it. In Jesus' name. Come on, can we rejoice with those who just prayed that prayer?